I can't believe how many families are suffering from this disease. I now know that addiction is a family disease. I thought no one in my family was an addict. I still feel scared to death every day. I don't know how to be a parent anymore. These past few years have been absolutely the toughest time of my entire life. My wife and I don't agree, and this is another big problem. I don't want this to be a secret anymore. That makes it even worse. If I have shame and guilt, how can my daughter ever get better? Being with other parents is being with people who really get it, and that helps me a lot. I've met some incredible people. I can help other people, and I feel better every time I just talk about all this stuff with my group. My life is turned upside down. Even when my son isn't doing so well, we seem to be okay. Talking with other parents helps me stay sane and not to feel so lost and alone. There are good people, good places to get help for my daughter and for our entire family. I have hope. I have to. I am not giving up my daughter. I want to help others. I've met some of the most special human beings. I'm very grateful. Talking with the other parents is helping me to stay sane. Hi, everyone. My name is Steve, and I have a 31-year-old son, and I have enjoyed several years of his incredible recovery. It followed several years that were among the most challenging I could ever imagine. But I feel incredibly fortunate to be where I, as a dad, and he, uh, as a person in charge of his own life, is today. And I'm hopeful that that will continue. So it's, uh, it's good to be together tonight. Hi, I'm V. Um, we have two boys. The youngest is in recovery. Um, and uh, I've been thinking about fam- the family unit today a lot. And uh, I realized that we were not that all that unique. <laughs> we made a lot of the mistakes um, that I heard a lot of other people making. Um, but we also learned a lot of cool stuff along the way, mostly from sitting in meetings like this. So I'm really happy to see everybody and be together tonight. I'm Susan. Um, I have two sons and the youngest one has been sober for a little over eight years now, Um, but he's only 24 uh, and he's been trying to, he's had sort of a little thing lately where he's trying to like make sense of what this all means for him now that he is an adult, Um, which of course scares the bejesus out of me, but you know, that's, that's what you guys are here for. Um, and then my older son is, um, you know, he's just, he's still using, it doesn't seem like a terrible crisis. Could he be thriving if he wasn't and, you know, in a better place? Absolutely. But, um, so far I haven't been able to figure out how to make that up to me. So if anybody has any tips about, how I can take control over the choices he makes and living his life. I'm open. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get back to you on that. (laughs) I got nothing for you, Susan. So uh, I'm Steven and um, it's great to be here tonight with all of you. Um, I am the father of five children, the youngest of whom uh, has a severe alcohol use disorder, which thank God is in remission now. For over seven years, he's 25, he's working in the industry. And, you know, as Steve mentioned, I mean, I'm, you know, effectively on my knees, just thanking um, the Lord that he's where he is, and, you know, fully enjoying it, enjoying the family, um, you know, always knowing that there's the ghost out there that that can, you know, bite us in, in the butt. But, um, you know, right now, things are good. And I feel, um you know, really blessed. Hi, I'm Jill. Um, I have twins who are 27. Uh, Susan, if you get some tips, I need you to pass them my way. Uh, I got one, you, sister. 
One of my boys uh, has uh, just celebrated four years of sobriety. He is an alcoholic and he lives, it's amazing that it's been four years. Uh, He lives several states away from us. So we get to see him occasionally during the year, Um, but he's doing incredibly well. And his twin brother, who shares his genetics, unfortunately, is not doing that great. Um, He goes to work. He has a job. He has friends. He has a social life. But in my opinion, he's drinking uh, way too much. And in my opinion, he's using alcohol too much uh, to hide a lot of his emotional issues. Um, So I'm just really grateful that I have tools to help me through this as I navigate yet again. And kind of like you said, Susan, just kind of have to wait for him to be ready to address his issues. Hi, I'm Sam. I'm really uh, thankful that I was able to be here tonight. I share those twin boys with Jill. And as V was saying, I was thinking today about tonight's topic and thinking about our family and going back four plus years how broken our family was for the better part of five, if not more years. And it has been a uh, remarkable journey that I'm grateful for that has really helped to turn not just my son's life around, but has turned my life around in many, many different ways. And has just uh, not only made me a better person, but has made me a better parent and just improved our entire family dynamics. I am Kate. I'm the mother of three boys. Um, The oldest is 39, and he's an alcoholic and been in recovery for 21 years. Um, I'm also the primary support uh, for my niece, who's 36 years old, who had a um, heroin addiction that um, she went into recovery uh, treatment for that five years ago. and unfortunately, three years ago, found alcohol and has been in and out of relapse for the last three years. Um, I'm happy to report we made it through the holidays. It was hard, um, you know, and um, I'm glad to be here tonight. I'm in the right place. I am Peter. Um, it's so great to, to see you all tonight. Um, I'm the dad of uh, two boys. And our eldest, uh, who's in his middle 20s, has been struggling with substance use and addiction uh, since his teens, his late teens. And when when we learned of that, when we got that news, um, it was like a bomb going off in our living room, followed by a hurricane, followed by a nightmare. <laughs> and it, it was that way, uh, that kind of horrible whirlwind for a good number of years. Um, while we struggled to understand what the hell was going on and what had happened to our family, it wasn't until I found rooms like this, groups like this, that um, I started to learn the things that have made this more navigable. And I am so deeply grateful um, uh, uh, to the folks in this room and uh, for the support and for just the knowledge. Um, and, you know, right now, knock wood, um, we're, we're doing okay. Holidays were good. And, Son's doing well, and um, and for today, that's awesome. And tomorrow will be what it is, but at least, you know, I have some tools. Uh, good evening. My name is Jay. I have two children that uh, sub- suffer from substance use disorders. My son is roughly five years sober now, a little more. My daughter's five and a half. Um, my son had a very aggressive journey first program he was in was at age 14 and uh quite a number of years later uh, god decided that we were strong enough to handle a second one so my daughter is uh is now five and a half years sober and uh they're living their best lives as are my wife and i i believe look forward to this evening this topic was a trigger for me when i saw the topic and uh, hopefully this meeting will, will end my trigger and I can move forward. Family therapy. I dreaded it. Uh, my name is Erin Goodhart. Um, it's really nice to be here. I am the executive director of our core programs at Karen. Um, I've been at Karen since 2004. And I started actually working with our teen boys and girls at that time. Um, and still work with our young adult patients and our adult patients. Um, 
family is something that's very important to me. I grew up going to AA meetings and alkathons and, you know, picnics. So um, it's something that I think is really important. Uh, even with my own kids now, we talk about recovery principles and, um, you know, really invite them into some of those events. So um, I, I love working with families and really glad to be here tonight. It's great to have you with us tonight, Erin. Thank you for joining us. Uh, tonight's uh, topic is family therapy. So I had to look that one up. Family therapy is defined as counseling to improve communications and to resolve conflicts. And, you know, in my family, uh, improving communication and resolving conflicts was pretty much front and center um, when dealing with my son. Um, and, you know, actually, I think, you know, we talk about in the intros about uh, family support group meetings. Uh, I think they those would qualify as family therapy. So when I first started, you know, Peter, you said there was a bomb, a hurricane, a nightmare. I mean, it was the same thing. You know, essentially, my son, really his addiction was completely running the household. Um, his addiction expertly used confrontation, manipulation and other tools to get what it wanted. And, you know, I was a mar- I was an easy mark. Every day I walked on eggshells in my own home, hoping not to set him off in some way. My wife and I couldn't get on the same page. We were fighting. It almost blew up our marriage. Um, and, you know, honestly, my other kids were struggling, too, um, with guilt for buying my son uh, alcohol, uh, for anger at what was going on in the household, fear that the family was going to come apart, and really sadness that close relationships in our family, particularly with my son, were fractured. I would say our family was really suffering, um, certainly in the beginning. But I have to say, I have learned so many things from family therapy and parent support group meetings. I mean, I could list, I could stand here um, and list them for an hour, how to handle my son's dishonesty and manipulations, how to set boundaries and hold them, how to get on the same page with my wife, on and on and on. So all I can say is thank God for parent support group meetings. Thank God for experienced parents, including a number of you, you know who you are, who I will always be grateful for your willingness to share your hard-won wisdom and to be vulnerable for the greater greater good. And thank God for talented clinicians like you, Aaron. Uh, you guys make the world go around and really solve a lot of problems. To me, family therapy that my wife and I received, both private counseling and in parent support groups, was the biggest game changer for our son and for our family getting healthy. I um, I love that you said, Steve, that, um, what did you say? That family support groups are also family therapy. And I was thinking, so, you know, there's therapy with the family and there's therapy for the family. Um, and we needed all of that. Um, you know, I, when I started to hear about family therapy, there's, you know, this idea of the identified patient, my son, my younger son was the identified patient, you know, he was the one with the problem. Um, And I quickly learned that he, you know, he was the one who was setting off the alarm that our whole family had a problem. I started to think of him as the canary in the coal mine. And, um, you know, and, and I was that person in my family of origin. I was the like exquisitely sensitive child who was the problem child um, because things weren't working optimally. And, um, and I've heard it said that like the identified patient is the person whose job it becomes to bring the whole family to the help that it needs. So, you know, my kid was so sick that he got our attention and he got us to go and do this difficult work, our work as a group, and then our work outside of the group individually um, as parents to try to heal that family unit and make it safer and healthier for everyone. You know, Stephen, you said something about thank goodness for good clinicians. Um, And when you said that, it reminded me that when my son graduated college and moved back home, He'd been using for several years, but had been out of my house. So I kind of didn't see how bad things were. I insisted that we go to family therapy, not because I thought my son was an alcoholic, but just because I knew that things were bad among our family. Relationships were bad. And looking back on it now, 
it was not, he was not a good clinician. And the, th- the family therapy went very, very poorly. My son felt attacked. Um, we felt that, you know, we were getting him there, not for our, to fix us, but to fix him. And, you know, we went for, I don't know, five, six sessions and they were horrible. And it wasn't until I realized that I needed my own therapy, my husband needed his therapy, my son needed to be in treatment, that I realized that it wasn't going to take us bringing my son into a, a bad clinician's office to get this fixed, that there was a lot of work that needed to be done. And amen to thank goodness for good clinicians. So um, uh, the first few things that were discussed with Steve's introduction and then Susan Improved communications and resolving conflicts with and for the family, therapy with and for the family. Those were very powerful comments to me. Um, the family therapy that I remember the most, which is, had generated my trigger, was when my daughter first went into a, into a program. Uh, there was no improvement of communications during that therapy session, those therapy sessions. It had nothing to do with the bad therapist. The bad therapist was a very good therapist. It had everything to do. It had a lot to do with my, with my daughter and probably something to do with me and not very much to do with my wife. Uh, I didn't want to be there and she surely didn't want to be there. There was no communication. She sat there, didn't say a word. Finally, after about the fifth session, we stopped because uh, it, it was not helping. It wasn't helping me, um, and, and but but I had been doing my own work individually, as Susan said, with and for the family. Um, I did my own for me, and I started attending parent support groups a dozen or so years ago, very religiously, and anything else I could find to help me. So. Um, Interesting way to start the uh, the conversation, Stephen. Thank you. I think you brought up some very interesting points. Susan, I really appreciated the way you said, it's piggybacking on Jay, there's therapy for the family and there's therapy with the family. When my son first went into treatment, we had a period of silence for the better part of seven months, no communication at all. And it was during that time, very early into that, that process, that I went out and got myself into therapy. I didn't know why. I did because I was told to. <laughs> and I was in, in such a frazzled, broken state. I was willing to listen to anything anyone said. I would try anything. And fortunately, as, as Jay and Jill alluded to, I was able to find a very good clinician. I didn't share my therapist with my wife. We did our own things. Uh, My son was receiving his own treatment. I didn't know anything about that at the time, but it was that individual work that I was able to learn more about myself, more about really dig down into the deeper layers of, of what may have been certain either causes or things that I did to disrupt our family structure. So by the time we all got together and with a therapist, I'll comment on that later, but by the time we all got together, I was finally in a place where I was able to be together. This part of this dialogue is um, really interesting to me because As the therapist, we often have the family who really wants to talk to the identified person and really wants to open those lines of communication. But I would totally agree, things tend to get a little worse before they get better. Um, And and what I'll often say is, you know, the identified person and family, they know how to push each other's buttons. So the identified person might call and ask that one question that is gonna be the trigger for the family, knowing they're gonna get a negative response. And then it's like, see, this is what they always do. Um, so I totally agree with what you all are saying, and I would full support everybody having their own therapist, and especially if someone's using substances, if there can be some distance between the last use and when that phone call is happening or that family therapy begins, 
because there has to be some level of clarity and willingness to engage in the conversation or it is going to be very one-sided as was discussed also. Yeah, I, you know, my experience, I think, was, was somewhat similar in that um, it, it wasn't until I had learned something about the landscape of this world. And I was a person who, you know, I had had experience in therapy, you know, quite apart from, you know, my son's addiction. I, you know, I had been in therapy um, for a long time and I was not unfamiliar with it, but the landscape of addiction and the, the dynamic that it introduces into families and issues of, of boundaries and coming to terms with my own powerlessness and the concept of like keeping my side of the street clean and, you know, that, that whole thing, um, it really wasn't until I, I started getting some of that under my belt and understanding that landscape that I could productively, you know, participate in, in a family therapy kind of session. It's still very much a work in progress for, for our family, but, um, you know, the, the lessons I've learned in rooms like this, really, they were the precursor that, that makes that possible for me. Our family therapy, when our son was, um, when my son was getting sober, uh, we had about two sessions with my husband, myself, and our son. And it became pretty clear pretty quickly, it was a bad sitcom. If somebody had, uh, if I had watched it on TV, I would have never believed that anybody could behave the way my son was behaving. You know, at that point, he was probably 60 days sober. It was, it was painful, just painful. And what we did was split up. Uh, Jeffrey and I started to go and um, our son went separately. And that was so much more effective. And the therapist worked with uh, my husband and I on setting boundaries, uh, not being enablers, teaching us about the disease, you know, basic stuff that we needed to do to be better parents. And our son on whatever they did together. And, you know, after about six months, we were able, Aaron, as you said, to come together as a family and do more effective communications work. Um, you know, the resolving conflict, I think that took much, much longer, but we did start to work on the communications. You know, Kate, um, that sounds uh, more in line with how we uh, started things. Once we took our, our, our heads out of the sand and realized that um, our son was in a lot of trouble, we, we, we dove in feet first. You know, um, we really got a lot of uh, support for ourselves. Um, and let them do what they were doing with him. Uh, so by the time we did come together, it was it was actually sort of great. But the elephant in the room for our family was his older brother. Um, he knew we were going to all these things, but whatever it was he was experiencing was not being shared at all with anyone. And there was a lot of complicated... Um, I guess, uh, uh, upsets, resentments, you know, uh, he was upset that what, what his brother had put us through, he was upset with what he had done to, you know, foster that situation or not said things he knew, um, you can imagine. So it was a, a kind of a long time before we were able to convince him to see someone and to help navigate a conversation between the two of them. Mm -hmm. um, and that was um, uh, probably uh, the most incredible uh, experience they both had, especially, especially for our older son. I think our younger son was um, so used to those sorts of, you know, conversations by then that it wasn't as uh, difficult for him, but um, it was, it really was the beginning of a fresh start for them, I think. I just want to say that the idea of family therapy is that other people are also sick and that it's not just my kid who's sick. 
because a whole family doesn't go to the hospital when your kid breaks their leg or has another disease. And, and the first hurdle for me mentally, I think, was that slogan of this is a family disease. What the hell are you talking about? It's a family disease. I'm sick. So that the first barrier for me was coming to accept that, that this was something that we were all experiencing, maybe in different ways, at different levels of risk, uh, and with different ways that needed treatment. But this was all of us in this. And that was pretty heavy way to, to, to come to, to realize the big trouble my family was in and that our family needed help. Steve, I, I really love the way you said that because one of the things that I was thinking as I was listening to this is many of um, family members who have been involved in the recovery process, there's, first of all, a common language that is being spoken. So most people come into recovery and, you know, learn the slogans. It's a family disease. They learn one day at a time. They learn all these things. And so part of what needs to happen for the families is also this educational foundation of this is what addiction is. This is what the disease looks like. This is how families can respond. You start to learn all these acronyms that we throw around in 12-step programs, like the whole world knows them. Um, so, so for me, it is also taking that step back of really getting a firm uh, foundation of, of what addiction is and connecting with other parents, just like yourself, who have been through this and can really be that beacon of hope that things may not always get better, but you can still improve. And then really moving into that space of vulnerability where, you know, the identified person isn't fighting so hard to protect their disease. Stephen, you said it so great in the beginning. Um, you know, you talked about, you know, your your child, they're, they're, they were fighting so hard to maintain their addiction and to protect it. Um, and family members are fighting so hard to get it out of the system. So really allowing time, you know, for everybody to to take a breath, to build a support system and to really start to develop that honest and open communication with each other. So, Aaron, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. Um, and I want to take what you just said and also something that Peter said. You know, Peter was talking about, you know, understanding the addiction landscape and you were talking about, you know, it's got its own language. You know, we first started with my son with just a regular um, psychologist who knew nothing about addiction. And it was an unmitigated disaster because in, in this psychologist's mind, it was no big deal that my kid was quote experimenting yet he had full blown alcohol addiction at 16. And I've, you know, I'm not an expert, but I've seen this happen quite a bit where, you know, the first port of call is, you know, to go to quote therapy, but, therapy that's not knowledgeable about addiction and what addiction brings to the table. And so, you know, I think it's, I think it's a really, really big deal to make that distinction that, you know, addiction on top of other things that are going on is a different kettle of fish than let's just say depression on its own. And so, and that was the case with my son. Um, and so, uh, you know, I really think that, you know, when you find addiction specialists that also understand the mental health side, which I think should be a requirement, particularly with, um, you know, young people, um, then you, you have the ability to really build a foundation and to learn a lot and you know, to move the ball forward. But I think I think it's important um, to have a distinction between just, quote, therapy and therapy that is focused on addiction and all that addiction brings to a family, to individuals, et cetera. Steve, you use the term family disease, which is a term we often say. And I remember the first time I heard it, and I also had the feeling of, I'm fine. I'm not the addict. I'm not the one who's blown up my life. Why do I need help? Um, how wrong I was. And I'm so glad I got the help. Uh, you know, so much of what we're talking about tonight seems to me centering around communication. And one of the tools I learned the most when our family finally did get back together in a therapist's office 
is that an important component of communication for me was that piece about listening. You know, I kind of had the talking piece down. I had the slogans. I knew how to phrase questions in such a way that they didn't sound probing or make my son feel challenged. But I needed to learn how to really listen and not just listen to the words, but listen to the meaning behind the words and to take time to wait until I spoke after listening. Um, and my son needed to learn how to listen as well. I remember a therapy session where we were with his private, uh, we were with his primary therapist and the therapist would often say to my son, what did you hear your parents say? And what he would repeat back to, to the, to the room was very different than what the words that came out of my mouth. So, you know, the communication and the listening piece continues to be so key in our family. Yeah, I, you know, there, there seems to be a theme of um, the, this, uh, the response to, you know, family therapy, the initial response saying, well, you know, our family's fine. Like our family's completely normal. It's just this guy who's, you know, addicted okay. and crazy, but otherwise we're totally normal. And that was absolutely, you know, I think my, my reflexive response. And, you know, over the years I've come to realize it's like not even a point worth arguing. It's like, Okay, maybe we were totally normal. Yeah, totally normal until this horrible traumatic thing happened. And after that, we were not normal. <laughs> like we were in some really not normal places. And, and there's a huge premium on like learning how to navigate those not normal places. You know, having come through the holiday time, I'm, you know, especially aware of, of how this is a family disease. Our holidays were great this time, not good. Um, but I see my younger son. I'm so I am so proud of him for having you know for taking care of himself for getting himself into therapy and working on you know some of these issues um you know he he has spoken to us about you know what it was like for him when you know in, in that nightmare time when when we did not we you know his parents had no we had no more bandwidth we had no available bandwidth and you know everything was about you know keeping our heads above water and keeping our older son alive and he was just like, you know, what the hell happened to my family? Um, and I'm so proud of him that he is engaging that and, 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 you know, making, you know, doing the work to take care of himself. I really, um, I want to sort of echo what everyone has been, was saying earlier about how sort of uncomfortable family therapy was. And you're reminding me that for the most part, it was excruciating, um, it felt like, you know, we were like in a three-legged race or something like the rhythm got all thrown off, you know, as dysfunctional as the rhythm was, um, we all knew how to dance, you know, those steps. And all of a sudden it was like, you know, somebody else was leading. It was really uncomfortable. Um, but I feel like what, like the, th when it really worked, it required so much humility. It required like me being able to stop being right, which anybody who knows me knows happens once in a blue moon. Um, but like <laughs> I was very invested in, you know, the high ground. Um, and and there was something really powerful thinking back on it, having somebody in the room who could sort of like put their thumb on my kids' side of the scale. Um you know, who could be like, hold on a second. Do you hear what he's saying to you? Because my husband and I could just, you know, we were right. Um, we didn't have, feel like we had to listen that much. We felt like he needed to hear what we needed to say. And to have somebody who could really be like, wait, I think, I think this kid's trying to tell you something here. Are you hearing that? And us to be, you know, have to like be forced to be humble enough to go, oh man, we've never really listened to him in this way um, was powerful. You know, uh, siblings came up a few times and um, my son started this journey at a very young age, mental health first, first program he was in was 14, but he, he'd been asked to leave a number of camps long before that. And my daughter was uh, pretty much there for the ride. And 
he went to a program at the age of 18, a day after, two days after he uh, walked out of, of rehab on his 18th birthday, stole a car, got into a police chase, ended up in jail, um, and was mandated to, mandated to a program, which I used to think was a good thing because then they go. This was the only one that he was mandated to that he actually stayed in for 28 days, to my surprise. So we, we had thought that it would be good for my daughter to come down to the family education uh, in this program. She was 16 and a half, and um, she didn't want to go. And we felt it was really important. But my wife reached out, and I reached out to, to someone who we know very well who is in the industry. And he said, um, the one thing, he said, my family has 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 been okay. He's now sober 20 years. Had been okay with everything, except my siblings still can't get over that they had to lose a weekend or two or three <laughs> going to family therapy. Don't make her go if she doesn't want to go. Wow. So we didn't, and she decided to come. It was a disaster. It was, as often happens in, in, uh, in that meeting, where's the next place you're going to? Somehow it was different than where we thought it was going to be. And he, he, he punched walls and walked out. And um, I think my sister, had, my daughter has a lot of trauma from that one day, probably lots of other trauma affiliated with them. So um, hard sometimes to know. Yeah, and Susan and Jay, I really appreciate both of you, you know, kind of talking about what your, I'm going to use the word expectation, but what your expectation is, both for the identified person, for siblings, and Jay, I would agree 100%, you know, doing better with siblings who maybe have, you know, the focus hasn't been on them or who have just been their performer, you know, we call it like classic hero role of just kind of showing up and do what they need to do. But in my experience, having children uh, or people under the age of 18 even have a say in if they're going to come for a family program is really empowering to them. Um, and, you know, I think listening also to the patient that, that sometimes I think family members have an expectation of where their loved one should be or are looking for a certain response or something. I mean, I facilitated lots of family sessions where I've had to just say to parents, you know, is there some magic Thing that you're looking for because we can't mind read it and it might not be realistic for your loved one. So I think really managing those expectations, um, you know, in NAA, we talk a lot about expectations lead to resentment. So really being aware of sort of what the expectation is with our family members. Aaron, earlier you had spoken about how all of a sudden everyone learns to speak this new language. We have this new understanding and people have been speaking about communication how to speak, how to listen, how to actually hear. In my experience, individually, my wife and I had all done, had done this work over many months. My son had been in his program for many months. And the first several times we got together, it wasn't what I would call, or maybe what Susan was referring to before, as a family therapy session. We got together with my son and his primary therapist. We hadn't seen him in months. And we sat down in the room, the four of us, and it became a safe place for him to speak. And it became a place for each of us individually to sort of put into play sort of the skills we had learned with a sort of an outside observer, just sort of looking in, being there to, I guess, emotionally support my son and just every now and then give a little nudge and a little, give a little guidance. Um, And that hour with him proved to be so valuable for the rest of the weekend because it just helped set a tone where we were all able to really speak and hear what each other was saying. And my fear is if we hadn't done that the first few times, we would have been listening, but not really hearing. So I I am thankful that we were able to engage in that and be in that safe place for him and really for all of us. Two thoughts uh, come to my mind. One is that 
I remember sharing with our son that we were in a program, that his mother and I were in a program. And I, I, I think he sort of knew it, but we never really talked about it. And I was surprised because he seemed supportive. He seemed pleased. And somehow maybe that sort of concept that we really are together in this, that you're not just the one putting us through, that we are as a family working to try to to help move forward, all of us, including you, that 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 maybe that was positive. And, and the other thought not connected exactly to this is that this parent support group family <laughs> is an ongoing therapy. It is an ongoing program. And I think it continues to help my entire family. And that and that although the idea that I'm sick too is frightening and resisted and my own ignorance pushed forward, I feel that I've benefited from, from this in ways I could have never imagined, not just in my son being in recovery, but in helping me move forward in, in my own life, in my own experiences, and uh, that there's something, I hate the thought of silver linings because that's just all, I've got all sorts of conflicts about that. No, I, it's not like good that he had to go through this, but I also can see the benefits of it. So this is family therapy um, for me, for me too, right now. Now, thanks, Steve, so much of what you said. Um, just uh, resonated with me and Aaron, the concept of expectations, right? Um, I, you know, the together in this, it, Steve, I think was the phrase you used. Um, one of the problems that I see with this disease is how isolating it is. And for my niece, how alone she is, how self-sufficient she need, thinks she needs to be. You know, there is not this sense of we're in this together. And when the disease is active, I feel like the ability to communicate, no, we're in this together, really, um, is so difficult to get across. And I can't, you know, I, I, so often I feel we're talking at cross purposes because, you know, she thinks I'm trying to push her into sobriety. Well, the truth of the matter is maybe I am, um, you know, I, uh, but, you know, do I, are we in it together? And that's been something I've been giving a lot of thought to, you know, how do I sort of reduce my expectations and increase my compassion so that she feels like we are in this together, right? And who's the communicator or who can be the communicator of that thought? And, um, you know, my therapist isn't trustworthy. Her therapist isn't trustworthy that, you know, the a family it it just gets so complicated when you're in this active part of the disease so uh kate you know i think it really is important um to be able to communicate that you know i i think i was fortunate in that um you know my son early on you know we were going to um, parent group meetings um, at the place he was doing outpatient treatment. And, you know, he saw we were doing a lot of work and he commented to me at one point, you know, that he noticed that, you know, my wife and I were were doing the work. And I think he felt a little bit like, you know, he was alone. He was a young kid. You know, he had to do the battle himself, but, you know, that his parents were at least, you know, doing part of it. And so, you know, some work. Uh, but I want to get back to a comment that Sam made. It was really interesting the way you phrased um, or or uh, ex- uh, described the situation of letting your son speak and creating a platform. Um, I mean, it just popped into my head. But when we were at the family um, education program at Karen, they had this thing called the family tree. And my son was 17 at the time. And we were sitting there and, you know, we're talking about relate. He's talking about his relationships. And he said, yeah, my dad, you know, we had a great relationship. 
And then he gave up on me. And first of all, my heart sank. Um, but it was just an incredible platform for him to say something to his dad in, you know, in public that was unbelievably intense and so important. And what was important about it was that um, I had a really important information for him. And that was that when he was in eighth grade, we took him to see um, a psychiatrist because he had sort of low level depression. And the psychiatrist said to us, my wife and I, he's really hard on himself. You need to back off. You need to stop pushing him and you need to stop, you know, um, creating expectations. You know, his older siblings had done really well and blah, blah, blah. He's hard on himself. And so I took that to heart and I stepped aside and I stopped pushing him. But his interpretation was I gave up on him. So this family therapy opportunity to give him a platform was just unbelievably beautiful for our family. It gave me a moment to explain something to him. It gave him a platform, like you were talking about, Sam, where he actually got to say something to you know his dad at 17 that was really important to him. Um, and so you know, it's an example of something that I'm so grateful for. Yeah, so <clears throat> as I said earlier, I've attended a lot of meetings for a lot of years, and every meeting something new comes that I get to wrap my head around. It seems like there's a lot of that coming out tonight. Um, you know, developing time to learn. Um, I've always thought that was very, very important. I always said once I figured out that I needed to learn a lot because I didn't know everything, which is rather rare, actually. But in this case, it was. Um, Indeed. Yeah. Yeah, I know you knew that. Um, but I, once I figured that part out, uh, I just enmeshed myself in this world. I go to work uh, X hours a week. And for a long time, the rest of what I did was this, uh, learning about disease, just getting as involved as I could. But my son started at 14. He actually started way before then. He didn't want to learn for a long time. And um, I think he learned a lot. I did some math. He was he's sober for five years. He was homeless for four and a half straight years. And he's been in this for 15 years or so. So he had five years of, of uh, learning from professionals, even though he didn't want to. But I'm not sure family therapy in the sense that I initially thought about it when I thought about this topic mother, father, kid with the same therapist, I'm not sure that would have been. And we did it. We did it. Um, it, it was not, he, he wanted nothing to do with it. And there were a lot of F-bombs going off in those meetings. Um, my, my daughter got worn down a little sooner. She, uh, it only took her about a year to say uncle. And now she's just incredible. And she calls her therapist. She doesn't have it permanently anymore. The minute she needs someone, she calls her sponsor and her therapist, always. So that developing time sounds wonderful. I just don't know how well it always works or how long the time takes. I, I wish we had a, a formula, Jay, to answer that question. Yeah. And we'd, we'd, we'd all be able to fix our kids. Um, I want to go back to something Kate said. Uh, Kate, you said, are we in it together? And it really made me think because I kind of have two situations going on. I'm in it with my son who is four years sober. And he knew from the moment he went into recovery and we kind of didn't give him a choice. It was, you know, go into recovery or you're out on the streets and he chose recovery. He knew that we would support treatment. He knew that we would support him and support his treatment for whatever that looked like. And so we were in it with him. Yes, we were in it together with him to support his treatment. But now I'm dealing with another son who has not acknowledged that he has a problem with alcohol. Um, I've acknowledged that I'm powerless to, to bring him to that point. And I really question, am I in it with him? I, I don't think so. I think I'm learning how to detach. I'm learning how to step back 
and I'm learning how to stay in my own lane. And I can't be in it with him because he's not in anything. And that's a really different position for me to be in right now. No, I really, it's so funny. As I was listening to this conversation, I was hearing so much, uh, so many of you really talking about this connection that you have with other parents who are in similar situations. We talk about the identified person having connection with their sponsor, and then eventually being able to build connection with each other within the family system. And then to hear you have this, have this, you know, other side of it with your son to say, you know, we're not in this together. We're not kind of moving towards the same thing. And that being able to take that step back of detachment. Um, and, you know, that, that word is something that I always want people to really think about what that means to them. I mean, probably the most common question that we get asked in family therapy is what boundaries should I put in place? Um, where do I draw the line? Do I do tough love? What does that look like? And that's such a personal thing for people. So detachment for one person might be, I'm not supporting anything except treatment. Detachment for someone else might look like, you know, when you get jammed up, I can't be your first phone call, or we can only talk when you're not drinking, things like that. So I think it's really important to, to for every person individually to make a decision about what that detachment looks like for them. Um, but I really appreciate like both sides of that coin. It was just interesting as I was listening and I was thinking about, you know, kind of that piece around connection. I appreciate so much what you just said, Aaron. Um, when when you said detachment, Jill, I was like, oh, hold on. Um, it's been I've been really struggling with, you know, these like Al-Anon principles lately um, and really trying to sort of reconcile uh I mean, I feel like in the beginning, I really needed this very kind of crude tool. You know, I needed it needed to be like, take care of yourself first. Um, and now I feel like I'm trying to find this kind of more nuanced, like place to stand where I can take care of myself and I can also be in loving connection, you know, with my kid who's still using and try to find ways to, you know, enhance the connections that we have that are not around and in support of, you know, his disease and, um, and try to separate myself from, you know, engaging in ways that support his disease, but it's hard and confusing. And, you know, it's like, you know, compared to like that blunt tool of like, you know, detachment, it feels like microsurgery sometimes. You know, Susan, I, you know, one of the things I'm struggling with is the zip the lip versus brushing it under the rug, you know, versus, <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> versus, you know, how do I show real concern for my niece's spiritual well-being? You know, how do I get my compassion out there to her in a way that she can hear it. You know, I was listening to something and then you talked about, you know, leaning towards her. How can I lean towards her in a way that connects her, you know, helps her feel loved, but at the same time doesn't say, hey, what you're doing is okay, right? So that, you know, when am I an enabler? When am I, you know, these, you know, this dance and, you know, my husband's great. He says, don't worry. You're not going to be right all the time. You're going to make mistakes. Just, you know, chart the course and don't worry about an error. I think it's also really, you know, there's both um, Susan and Kate, you both talked about this dance that that happens in people who are, you know, kind of chronic relapsing or even in early recovery where everybody has a different bandwidth at every day. And so I think it's important that what state, like to be aware of your own emotional bandwidth too. Are there times when you can talk to your niece knowing that she might be using and that you can tolerate it and knowing when you can't tolerate it either. And that's okay too. Um, <clears throat> the other thing that, uh, you know, all, all of the things that we, and this might be an unpopular opinion, but all of the things that we have traditionally called enabling truly were done from a place of love by every person. It was truly like trying every last bit of your fiber 
to save somebody in your life that you love dearly. And so I also just encourage some grace for, for family members and parents specifically, you know, all of those things that, that people do when their loved one is in active addiction are truly, truly done from a place in love and care and just desperation. Um, and so I think speaking your truth, you know, being able to see when I see this behavior, I feel scared. It reminds me of all times. I don't know how to support you. Those are all ways that you can support your loved one um, and still be able to kind of speak your truth and own your own feelings. Erin, thanks so much for that. I um, Speaking the truth is hard for me, that eggshell dance. I, I, you know, hard getting off that eggshell and hard getting towards the truth. You've all been trained very well that if you're honest, your loved one may cut you out. They may lash out at you. They may do all those things. I mean, families just get trained in that way also. You just reminded me, both of you, of this um, experience. I'm going back to my uh, to our older son again when he finally had the opportunity to sit down with his brother. And he was so prepared from his uh, visit with his therapist as to what he was going to say and how he was going to present things and all the all the wrongs he was going to write. And right before he got into the meeting, the, the therapist who was going to sit with him said, you know, I know you're ready and I know you want to do this, but I just want you to be aware of one thing. Your brother may not remember any of those experiences that you had or that you have a grievance with. You know, he, he was using. <laughs> it, it's possible that he may actually not, you know, be the the uh, the culprit that you think of him as. So you know, and it was such a reality check for 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 all of us. I am always amazed of what my son remembers. It is just incredible. His he was so fried, and I don't think he's missed anything. It's shocking, actually. <laughs> it's just incredible. It's interesting that you say that, Jay, because in our family, when we speak with our son. We almost never speak about his years of addiction. And Aaron, to your point of, of speaking your truth and owning it, people have used you know, the phrases of vulnerability and humility. It's being able to be honest with my son, regardless of how he takes it, that has allowed our family to move forward. If I'm honest and he doesn't like what I say, he will tell me, and I've learned to accept that. And it, it has just created a better family dynamic, as, as Jay would say. These are the people I never wanted to meet, and I am so glad that I am here. I really appreciate that, Sam. And, and Aaron, I really appreciate your um, uh, advocating that, that we have a, a little grace for ourselves, because I um, hugely in favor of that. And for me, a lot of that uh, has has been about reminding myself that these dynamics that I, you know, that our family has found itself in that seem just so nightmarish sometimes, I really try and stay away from like the global statement that, oh, this is so screwed up and it's always going to be this way. It's always going to be so screwed up. It always is like, I really try and excise that <laughs> from my vocabulary because you know, it, it, getting rid of always, like I find a little bit of grace. Yeah, and it's so much about living in this current moment. And, you know, I, I really appreciate not uh, living so much in people's active addiction and knowing that people can change and allowing for, you know, kind of the spiritual principles of the steps to come along as people are working their programs, whether it's the identified person or a family member, um, but really you know, growing that compassion and empathy and compassion really for, for other people and for yourself. Um, and, and, you know, being able to be vulnerable and genuine and authentic and all those things that uh, make everybody, you know, great supporters of each other and, and um, really advocates for recovery. Thank you, everyone. It is always so good to be together. This is a podcast by parents for parents. We are not professionals, but parents offering our own experiences with the hope that it might help others. We are not experts, and our words are our own, with views not necessarily shared by care and treatment centers. 
Nothing that we offer in our comments should be considered instructional or diagnostic. Definitely not treatment. And it is not specific to any particular person, just our general thoughts based upon our own experiences with our family members. Please visit, call, consult with healthcare professionals, your doctor, and other qualified specialists. And do not change what your healthcare professional advises based upon anything you heard a parent say in this podcast. We are not addiction experts. Just parents sharing our personal experiences with other parents.